Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to treasurers about how they built their careers, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. In this week's show, delighted to be joined by Hayley Laverty, the Group Treasurer Intercontinental Hotels Group. IHG are one of the world's leading hotel groups, companies as it were. They franchise, lease, manage and own nearly 6,000 hotels. We were just discussing with Haley about the growth of the chain. That's over, well, it's approaching 900,000 guest rooms, 100 countries, completely global, with also another nearly 2,000 hotels in development pipeline. So rapidly expanding, despite all the circumstances, it continues to grow. Great success story and lots and lots of brands in there. I'll get Haley to explain a little bit more about the group later on in the show. What we'll do to begin today's show, as we do all the way through, is take Haley back to the very beginning about how you started within your finance career and then how you got introduced to the world of treasury. So Hayley, as always, it's your show. Over to you. How did you first ever discover finance? Was it through university or where, where did you start, as it were? Over to you. Hi, Mike. Yeah, I guess I've got a relatively common route through into treasury. I've got an accounting background. Mm-hmm. So that really came about. My degree was completely irrelevant. I did a degree in physics and then went around the world. For a year or so, realised I needed to apply for a job, unfortunately, once I got back. It was probably relatively certain that I would go into accounting of some description. So I applied for the graduate program at Deloitte, where I spent five years in total, did did my ACA there. Stayed a couple of years post-qualified, had good sort of varied experience whilst I was there. And then decided that I wanted to kind of move into the to the other side, join a corporate business instead. So an opportunity came up at Rolls-Royce in Derby. And my first role there effectively was like a group corporate accountant managing a small team. Did you know Derby or was it, you know, was it? I actually went to university in Nottingham and joined Deloitte in Nottingham. So in the area from that perspective, obviously, you know, massive local employer in the Midlands. So did the corporate accounting and sort of subsidiaries role there, sort of relatively sort of technical accounting. The role kind of naturally broadened out because of sort of various transformations that were going on at the time. And I also sort of went into what was called the Rolls-Royce International Business, which was looking after some smaller marketing offices globally and looking after effectively the expat population from a financial point of view, but still keeping some of those corporate responsibilities and corporate accounting responsibilities. As part of that original corporate accounting role that I really came across Treasury properly because the Treasury accounting was actually consolidated up through my corporate results. So I was pretty used to talking about the impact of Treasury on P&L and balance sheet on a month-to-month basis with the Treasury team who sat on the same floor as I did. And it was a kind of my wider accounting team that that actually kind of processed the Treasury results. So, and at Rolls-Royce, the impact of Treasury on the financial results is very material. There's a huge FX exposure and therefore it took a lot of planning, forecasting, budgeting and actuals reporting every single month. So that's where I became aware of what Treasury did really and what they were contributing effectively to the to the wider business. And when you were getting that early exposure, did you immediately think, oh, I want Treasury's where I want to be, you know that is where you are now? Or did you think, oh, they, they're contributing a lot, but actually there are other areas that, you know, I should maybe move into with your career? Or did you say that was it, you were intrigued by it and that was it, it hooked you in then? I was certainly interested in it. And yeah. I kind of, I was interested in the 
you know, quite technical side of it as well. It certainly wasn't the most straightforward kind of P&L and balance sheet to to have to explain every every month. So that I, I was naturally interested in it. And then effectively an opportunity came up where the previous treasury controller left the business. So that left that opportunity there. So it was, I had the background because that's obviously where the sort of some of that control and accounting took place within the treasury team itself. So it was kind of a nice fit for, I guess, some of my existing skill set, whilst obviously broadening my treasury knowledge. You made the sort of the moves up through Rolls-Royce and a lot of, you know, a lot of people come in and sort of do that rotational program with Rolls-Royce and the people externally will have an impression. Certainly, I know the group a little bit, but you'll know it much better than I. What's it like to work at Rolls-Royce, you know, and what, what's the sort of dimensions of it then and now and things like that? I mean, obviously, from a being even being on the Derby site, I guess, probably when I worked there, there's something like 10,000 people on the site. It's it's effectively like a campus. It's like a university campus, really, from that regard. But it was obviously I went from practice into a very historic British engineering is the darling of the British engineering industry, really, when I moved there. So very, very different from a cultural perspective. That was very interesting. You know, when I first joined, you know, the you know, a couple of my team members who worked for me, you know, had both been there almost 40 years. So from a cultural perspective, shift from in practice at Deloitte to that was obviously a little bit of a culture shock. You know, I love my time there, so 10 years in total. And whilst Derby is obviously the centre for the sort of civil aerospace business, they obviously have other businesses as well. And that, that was what I actually particularly liked about being in Treasury is you actually got to see the whole group. So whilst a lot of people in Derby are naturally kind of focused on civil aerospace, actually from a Treasury perspective, you were also talking to the marine business or the defence business about things that were going on in, in their world as well. So that was also what I really enjoyed about it. And we've talked about this on a couple of other podcasts about that age difference. And, you know, again, with Rolls-Royce, you've obviously got people, as you say, that work there for many, many years, but you're wanting to work on that. And you were relatively fresh out of qualifying as an accountant and everything else. How did you get the best from them and them get the best from you, whether it's on a colleague basis or maybe if you're coaching them or supervising them? How, how did you get through that? I think it's about adapting to to what they want and what they need, really. Mm-hmm. With all the will in the world, you, know, you can't go into an annual appraisal with someone that's been there 40 years saying, what's next? How do you want to develop yourself or <laughs> anything like that? Because they probably just roll, roll their eyes at you and say, I'm quite happy, actually, just doing what I'm doing. And, you know, if, if they're obviously doing a very good job, then as far as I'm concerned, you know, that's fine. You, know, you should be making sure that you adapt yourself and you adapt your leadership style for the for the people that are working for you at any one point in time, which can be very broad. I think that's the that's the kind of key point. You mm-hmm. know, making sure that the people you adapt, so you understand their needs, you understand what they want, and you understand appreciate really, especially in that regard. I mean, their their history and their knowledge, which is pretty much unparalleled in terms of them understanding their jobs and knowing what they were doing, and therefore leaving them alone when they can get on with the job, but also providing support when actually maybe there might be something quite new or something quite technical that actually they didn't understand and they didn't have that background knowledge to. That was the key really to that role is trying to get that balance right. You talk about there that you sort of developed your treasury scope, if that's the right way. You were treasury controller leading the team of five and then you were assistant treasurer and you made those transitions. Again, you know, as you're sort of growing and developing your career very effectively, what was that like as you, you felt your treasury 
building your treasury knowledge and setting yourself up, what did you find were the stretch points, if you like, for yourself? I think as I moved from that treasury controller role into the effectively the assistant treasurer role and took on additional areas of responsibility was actually broadening, just broadening my knowledge and experience and also getting involved in some more detailed areas that perhaps I hadn't been involved with before. So some more areas in relation to say front office or funding, for example, that aren't necessarily, you know, and still weren't necessarily part of my job description but basically contributing where you can. And also, obviously, my co-assistant treasurer, making sure that we were supporting each other as much as possible as well, because obviously our workloads ebbed and flowed, you know, at different times sometimes. And I think that that's where I got the extra knowledge, was able to contribute more, especially around just taking those opportunities where I could do things that weren't necessarily my job description, but hey, I had time to do them. So for example, picking up the annual EMTN update of the documentation because it was there and, and I had the time to do it. So I got on and did it. So I think, and that's where, you know, effectively it was kind of making sure I was developing myself and my knowledge wider across the whole of Treasury, as opposed to the the more defined role, if you like, or the job, the job description in front of me. Was that suggested strongly to you, you should do this, you should do the documentation on this, or was it just you're someone that puts a hand up for extra work and wants to grab that stuff because you know it'll help you further, or is it just a a combination of innate curiosity? Or What's the the driver for you, as it were? I think that was me putting my hand up and saying my colleague was, at the time, was preparing the US 144A documentation. Mm -hmm. They didn't have time to do both, so... I put my hand up and said, well, I can do. So we had a debate. Shall we do both? Do we need to do both? And I was like, why don't I do that bit while you're doing the other piece? So it was sort of similar with some treasury policy work, whereby actually there were things that we wanted to adjust in the policies. Again, just down to different time constraints and different people, people just actually really not having time to do it, even though we really wanted to do it. And we wanted to do it as a team and as a leadership team in treasury. And me putting my hand up and saying, well, I'll do it, right? I'll do the first draft. I'll write the policy. And then that took the pressure off those other individuals so they could then review it and contribute to it afterwards. That's where you then you really get tested in terms of trying to broaden your knowledge if you have to sit there and try and write a paper or a policy around something that actually you're technically not the lead expert in your team. So if someone's listening today and they're nervous about stepping out you're brave enough to do that you said you know put your hand up and said yeah but there's someone's going i think i could do it but what if i mess it up or what if i my boss is quite demanding you know quite challenging you know because they're under pressure as well how did you put your hand up you know you you've got that stick your hand up and stuff like that maybe more supportive team as as it were but if someone's not in that situation what advice or what did you how did you go about that well, I think for me, I wasn't necessarily concerned about messing up as such. Mm-hmm. I guess I, there were, the, obviously there was a concern that I didn't have all the knowledge. But at the end of the day, the team there were great. I had the wider support of that team. And actually, at the end of the day, the difference was me doing it oh. or having a go at it, if you want to call it that, yep. versus it maybe not getting done at all. The team should benefit from it. And if actually the treasurer or the CFO turned around and gone actually, we're not going to take this forward at this point. Well, it doesn't matter, does it? Because I've still learned a huge amount. 
probably mm. along the, along the way as well. And you've got some great experience within, and you were studying the ACT exams and things like that. Did you find that those really made an impact again for the listeners today? In the US, you've got the AFP, you've got the UK ACT, and across Europe, you've got a number of exams. Did you find they made a real impact? Because you did very well in those. Obviously, you've got an affinity for those. But is that something you'd encourage people and you've, you've sort of said to people as well to do? Yeah, I, I think it again, I think it comes down to the individual again. I think for me, I wanted to do them. You know, obviously, I came into Treasury slightly later, if you want to call it that. And I think, you know, they accelerated my knowledge quite quickly in a number of areas. Again, probably in areas that weren't part of my day job. Mm. So learning a little bit more about effectively, you know, the dealing side and the technical treasury instrument side that I wouldn't necessarily have appreciated all the different facets of in my day job. Then accelerating my knowledge through doing those exams was actually you know, really, really helpful. I think naturally I'm quite a technical person. So and I've always done quite exam-based sort of subjects, I guess, uh, obviously the ACA. So I wasn't kind of concerned about the exam format either. But I think that's a key point. And I think for certain people, yes, if if people want to do the exams, I'm entirely supportive of that, you know, in, in back in Rolls-Royce and, and currently at IHG. Mm. But also, if people don't want to do them, they haven't got an aptitude for exams. If they, you know, if it, they literally, they couldn't think of anything worse, then I absolutely wouldn't push them on someone or always expect someone to have them as a qualification. No. So I think it's purely up to the individual. So you were assistant treasurer, Rolls-Royce, and then the role at ISG came along. Maybe talk us through yeah. that move, if you would, and, and what it's been like, you know, if you've been there sort of four years or so. So go back, you know, it's not that long ago, but maybe the, the move and how it came about and things. I mean, at Rolls-Royce, I've been there 10 years. Yeah. I guess I had a little bit of a feeling of if I don't leave Rolls-Royce now, I might never leave. There's a lot of people that have been there 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, I was still a relative baby at, at 10 years, even when I left. If I'd have stayed there, there really wasn't any sort of immediate opportunities to progress within Treasury. So I would have had to go out into the wider business, which would have been a realistic move internally mm-hmm. at Rolls-Royce. And, and I had discussed that. And then it just so happened that just at the time that I was talking about moving internally, the role at IHG came up. It was a really, really difficult decision to leave Rolls-Royce after 10 years. You know, I had a great team there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I had lots of different roles and opportunities. I had a good relationship with senior management. Therefore, kind of leaving all that behind for a new role was an extremely, extremely difficult decision. But on the face of it, even though the IHG role as a treasurer and the treasury team is not as complicated as Rolls-Royce, obviously it meant kind of stepping up into that group treasurer role. I just knew, you know, I knew that that would give me some great experience from an industry point of view. You know, I was really, really interested to make that move effectively from an engineering company with effectively a hotel company. And what's that been like in terms of maybe the dynamics of the business? As you say, engineering has got certain solid and different things happening and everything else. But you know, what's been the key thing? You go, oh, actually, the cash flows or things are, are totally different or the way that people approach the business or what, what's been the, the key change for you? Certainly, the at the outset, really, the culture was extremely different. Working for a hotel company, I think, you know, effectively to state the obvious, the hospitality culture runs all the way through the company and the organization. I found it quite, it's just a very welcoming Mm -hmm. culture across the business. And therefore I found it quite easy 
at the beginning to start to sort of build those sort of wider relationships. I think also in terms of the role and the team, like I said before, more straightforward, very, very different treasury focus really internally in terms of things like gross cash flows you know, the gross cash flows in absolute terms you know much much smaller but basically it means that the you know fx exposure much much smaller than rolls royce so your sort of day-to-day focus just starts to shift on into sort of slightly different areas and that's the in terms of them what you can what you spend your time on and what you spend your time doing sort of obviously naturally naturally adapt again been a great experience in terms of just broadening out that treasury that treasury experience what was the shape of the treasury team there because obviously you've got this global team you've got uk interests you've got us you've got we talked about before the show you've got input to some of the guys over in india as well and coaching them and this it's a truly global company in that sense how's it been with the evolution of treasury there for you and then allied to that the obvious you know the past year and a half of turbulence and turmoil and everything else Talk us through those, if you would. From a team point of view, I've got um, our main group treasury team is based in Burton in the Midlands. And I've also got a small team in the US in our Atlanta head office. I'm also responsible for the group capital and kind of long-term cash flow forecasting team sitting at Denham office in the UK near Heathrow. The team itself and the structure of that wider team is kind of relatively unchanged, I'd say, from a treasury perspective. The group capital and cash flow team, that was an additional responsibility I took on around two years ago, I think, where they were traditionally used to sit as part of the F, the wider FP&A team. But obviously it fits quite nicely in with treasury when you're thinking about long-term usage of capital. Then also, again, probably around maybe 18 months ago, we do have a service center based out in India with about 500 colleagues. We kind of broadened some of our review of looking at different finance processes, one of which is the kind of cash management and sort of banking related part of finance. And therefore, as part of that, I also have a level of responsibility around sort of process optimization across the group. So that includes in ter- terms of what's going on in treasury, core treasury, but also in our wider service center organization when it comes to sort of banking and cash management as well. What's been the impact, if you like, of, of the pandemic with you guys? Because obviously you saw it coming along and different businesses different the airline and automotive been knocked sideways hospitality how have you guys weathered the storm and what's been your role in that would you say i think it has been significant impact on the whole of the hospitality industry as you'd expect going back now looking back to sort of march when obviously we kind of realized that this wasn't going to be a, a china kind of issue but global issue thinking about how the hospitality in sector might be impacted like you say we're a global business and we also need to think about it regionally, as well as kind of, you know, what's going to happen just in in our, in our main markets. Our US business is the largest part of our business. And then we're split into, we have, a, you know, a significant Chinese business as well. And then we've obviously got everything outside of that in what we call EMEAA. At the beginning, it was, it was tough. You know, we had to, especially from a treasury perspective and thinking about cash and liquidity, which historically we've been a very cash generative company. We're not used to having kind of large working capital swings or anything kind of significant impacting our cash flows on a on a week-to-week basis. So we had to do a huge amount of work right at the beginning to actually spend a lot more time understanding and then trying to model the cash 
potential cash flow impacts of different scenarios going forwards. So like I say, because as a mainly franchise business, our cash flows are relatively steady. Mm. And we don't, whilst we obviously do what I would call, we do cash flow forecasting on a, on a daily, weekly or you know, monthly and annual basis in terms of it being fit for purpose for the business, because we're not used to having large working capital swings. It's not a complex process. And all of a sudden, obviously, we were concerned that we could have some significant impacts driven by the crisis because we didn't know how our potential owners of our hotels would react or how they would be impacted, the impact on, on their cash flow, therefore the impact on our cash flow as well. So we had to spend a large time kind of modeling different scenarios, trying to understand the potential impact and therefore what our liquidity impact could be, the impact on our bank covenants and the impact on our funding. And then obviously try and come up with a plan around how we would mitigate those risks if they ever actually materialised. And how does it look now? Okay, this is looking in the crystal ball and, you know, might be an unfair question. So, you know, feel free to just dodge the question. Say, Mike, I'm not answering that. Go away. But how are you seeing in the future? And, you know, we've, in the wider world, there's a vaccine. The world will slowly get back. And we, Haley and I had our pre-call. I spoke about 2008 and that back in those days, there was just nothing there. You put as much stimulus in and the world just still laughed at you. At least in this situation, we're able to take steps. How do you see it going forward, you know, particularly in the treasury sphere as well? Yeah, I mean, I think from a treasury point of view, we've obviously taken a lot of actions in 2020 Mm. that have boosted our our liquidity position and provided de-risk that sort of significantly for the foreseeable future. Some of those concerns we had at the beginning of the crisis around liquidity haven't actually didn't kind of result in any of like any any particularly extreme ways mm-hmm. which obviously was was very good but nonetheless obviously the the business itself has been severely impacted you know there's lots of there were different levels of hotel closures at different points in time each region as well is quite different between you know what happens in the americas compared to Europe compared to China, mm-hmm. which obviously did start to recover a lot more quickly. Now, from a business point of view, we are set up for that recovery journey now. And it's just a case of exactly when and and how that how that recovery shape pans out in the future. So obviously largely dependent on vaccine rollout and then each sort of country and, and region picking back up. The underlying, I think from a general perspective, you know, the hospitality industry was strong mm. you know, pre, pre the pandemic. So I'm sure that once the vaccine is rolled out and we have those assurances in place from a wider perspective, obviously people will start to travel again and, and the business will return. It's just a case of, of when that will happen. And obviously at the moment, that's the uncertainty that we have, but the optimism that it will return at, at some point later in 2021. Yeah, it's going to recover and things like that. And throughout this period, you you focused on improving yourselves as a treasury. I know that there was some system stuff you've done and everything else. Maybe looking at that and taking it forward, where where do you see the development of treasury per se? You know, sometimes I talk to guests and they're like, oh, technology, automation, AI, all these different things. There's, there's loads of different stuff coming at you. What are the things that you're going, right, this is our priority list, guys, for 2021 and beyond? What have you focused you yourself and what have you focused the team on you know what are the key things for you you think today and moving forward 
think at the moment, like you say, we do have ongoing payments platform and TMS Mm -hmm. implementation ongoing. That in itself will help to reduce some of the manual process. Even before COVID, obviously, there's always an an element of, of manual processes that you're trying to erase at any one time. But actually, COVID kind of created even more the manual processes as we needed to create additional information and different reports for management that we hadn't had to create previously. So really, it will be about trying to automate some of that and generate better better management information. I think going forwards from a operational treasury point of view, it's just a continued focus, focus on that for us in the sort of short to, to medium term, making sure that we've tried to look at that not only as well from a core treasury point of view, but like I say, from a wider finance service center point of view, making sure that we're all getting or getting those benefits that effectively, you know, is, is what we've sort of signed up for mm. as part of that initial project. And then I think, and that is that will that will then, you know, that can drive better management information, which really is the key, so that we understand to help us going forwards with our with our sort of cash flow forecasting as well going forwards. And you talked there, and we we've we've alluded to, you know, the fact you've got your different teams. You've got Atlanta, you've got UK, you've got this service center over in India. And that collaboration between teams and different people, I just want to deep dive just a little bit on the people aspect of it, because you obviously, you know, coach your team there and you've got through this and, you know, remote working and all those things. But when you're recruiting people, when you're looking at people, what is it you're seeking? And again, this is for the people listening today that are going, if I wanted to work for Haley, a really leading treasurer, what is she going to be looking for on my on my CV, what is it you're looking for from people? Is it someone with a similar background to yourself or different background? What are, what are the key things that are important to you? All of my, I guess the the main roles that report to me are quite different and require different skill sets. So there is obviously always the technical element of of any role and looking for that experience. But also, you know, in the past, about to start trying to recruit a new person for our US team, actually depending on exactly what the role is and where it is, it's not always possible to recruit someone with sort of the per- perfect technical background either for, for any of these roles. From my point of view, quite a lot of the time, it's more about the general skill set that that person has and their ability to learn and their desire to learn, I guess, and, the, and their desire for that job. So they are, if there are elements of their background that can be adapted into a treasury role or they're bringing something that's beneficial to the role that someone else might not have brought from what you might say might have been an ideal background in, in theory, then I think that that's always important for the wider team as well. So I think I'm, I'm quite open. It you know, really, really depends on the role and it depends on the, the technical gaps that we're that we're trying to fill. You know, treasury can be some quite diverse roles within Treasury. Got the bank relationship piece, as well as maybe understanding the intricacies of of cash management. So it's quite often, I, th- I think you're trying to find some relatively broad people to fill some of those roles. When you're doing that, when you're assessing them, obviously you've, you're starting with a blank piece of paper, literal or a CV and things. Is there anything you're trying to pick out from there? Is there the are you looking at their Nicola, you said you can't have the ideal person, but what are the characteristics you're trying to pick out from there? Is it their study path? Is it their things they've done since then? Is it the interests they've taken? So they might be more of a 
and we've done team sports or they're more analytical. I know it's going to vary according to the job, so there's not one broad brushstroke, but is there anything that you pick out that, you know, again, when I've met, as I said to you before the show, that I've met people at different conferences and they said, oh, you know, I want to know what treasurers are looking for in me, you know, or that I should be focusing on more ACT, more more treasury study, more other things. What are, what are the things that you think jump out at you, would you say? When you're just looking at a CV is trying to understand the route that person has taken, mm-hmm. being able to sort of see that path or not necessarily obviously on the face of the CV, but through conversation, be able to understand the, the decisions that person has taken. If you obviously need those technical skills and things like exams, obviously I'm never going to, they're never going to hurt to have them. And it is possible in certain roles, obviously they're going to give you that edge. So if people are willing to, if, if people do have a, a genuine interest and, and want to do them, then, you know, I would always encourage that. But like I say, it's not going to necessarily preclude you from a role. And then I think it's about, and then for, but for me, quite often, it really has to come down to face-to-face interaction, getting an understanding of really what drives that person and their communication skills. Especially, you know, in Treasury, where in most roles, you will be, you know, trying to build external relationships with with banking partners and you know that is how we bring additional you know quite often how we bring additional ideas into treasury mm. and therefore you know it's really important that those people can can build those relationships and manage those manage those relationships with with the external banks be that you know the sort of more specialist teams at the banks or or sort of on the general relationship side so i think that that's always important and that's always something i would be looking for in most of my team members and how have you assessed that in this new virtual age because obviously this is that's one of the things I've been saying to a lot of people that you know we can't wait to get out the door and out of lockdown and you know I've got a friend who's an estate agent and we were in a business group and we you know we were asked you know did we want the jab and we were both yeah we're, we want to be front of the queue because we want to meet those people we want to meet treasurers like yourself face to face and develop those relationships but obviously you're in that situation where you're having to assess people or trying to work with people over this and, and that relationship thing as you said is there is key how do you do that with a, a little camera looking at you in the middle of a screen or how have you attempted to do it is it building on past things and just trying to leverage off those or what are you doing yeah i mean i think it still works so actually i did recruit my last u.s treasury manager kind of three years ago whatever piece of technology it was that we were using yeah, virtually, then, um, virtually, to, do, yeah. to do virtual to do virtual interviews um, which at the time actually i was a little bit skeptical about <laughs> in terms of thinking is this is this really going to work but actually i found that it worked fine it's really no different, I think, to to doing that to doing that face to face, really. So, I think that that worked well. And obviously, in this environment, you know, we've we've had to keep all those bank relationships as well, you know, virtually over over the last ten months or so, as it is now. So, I found that doing it remotely and, and doing it virtually is fine. And you know, we're we're approaching the end of today's conversation. It's been great, actually, really deep diving in some of that stuff, but. What are you seeing, you know, before we go and we'll put your LinkedIn details, but we'll get to the last, you know, top tips and things like that. But do you look into your crystal ball, not about the future, but more talk to the, we touched a bit on automation, touched a bit of things, but where do you see Treasury evolving? You know, where are you seeing the, I've talked to clients, we just talked to the touch there on the virtual stuff that, you know, in the past, you know, I was asked on a conference recently and the lady said, you know, where have you seen the past five to 10 years of innovation and everything else and blah, blah. And I, I got to the end of it, I went, none of that matters. 
you know, just look at the past year, what's happened, this sea change that, you know, it's been we've seen seven years of flexible working crammed into seven months. So lots of people have had to get used to that. And that now the heads are sort of settling. Where are you when you look at, you know, you've been through Treasury a number of years, where are you seeing maybe affecting Treasury, finance, or your general thoughts, if you like, about what's next? Well, I think for a lot of organizations through going through COVID crisis, if they've been significantly impacted, will definitely have been effectively an opportunity for Treasury mm-hmm. and wider finance, actually, in supporting the business and showing what additional value they can bring and the value they do bring that's, that sometimes is hidden or not highlighted as much when when things are going well. So I think there, there has definitely been opportunities there. So I would expect, you know, a lot of treasury teams to have got a lot of exposure over over the last year or so within their respective organizations. Really, I think therefore for, for those for those teams, it's a, an opportunity to capitalize on that moving forwards as well. And thinking about, like you say, in terms of what are the next steps for treasury in terms of the value they can bring to the business, the discussions, you know, the strategic discussions that they're involved with, mm. with senior management, kind of effectively kind of keeping keeping the seat at a table at the table. I think that in that regard. Brilliant. Well, amazing. Now, what, as I said before, what we will do is put Haley's uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So if you'd like to connect with her and she wants to connect with you, obviously, and if you're in the world of treasury and it's good to have uh, you and her in uh, the network, then it'd be great to maybe connect up with Haley. But as always with the show, Haley, as we wrap up today, you know, looking back over all that we've discussed, and it could be any of the levels or parts of you know your career, and someone's looking at it again and saying, "Do you know what? I'd like a career like Haley, and it's going to continue for you. And, you know, we're not there yet. What are the tips you would give to people? Again, we've had answers in the past about studying. We've had you know people about moving country. We've had you know a whole host of different things. But you're the treasurer of IHG. Looking back from now and, and backwards, what what are sort of tips would you try and share anywhere two to two to three, four, five, whatever your words of wisdom are before we wrap up today's show. I think my first thing would be to be, if people obviously are already in Treasury, but obviously going backwards in time, I never had a plan to sort of work in Treasury or necessarily even understand what it meant that well. And therefore, I think some people seem to have, I basically wouldn't get hung up on having a very defined career plan at Mm -hmm. an early stage, sort of saying, oh, this is my five-year plan, this is my 10-year plan, because I think sometimes that can distract people or not let them see the opportunities actually that then present themselves when they can be quite fixated mm. on a particular path. And I think for me, I have just taken taken the opportunities that have presented themselves, you know, kind of along the way. Also making sure that you're making as good a decision as you can, you know, at the relevant time with, with the information available to you and not being not being scared to do that. I think the someone also said to me once, Never kind of say you're not going to apply for a job because you've got some projects that you want to finish in your current role because you could miss out. And actually, that is exactly what happened to me just before I came to Treasury. So I almost didn't make the move into Treasury because I was working on some big projects and someone told me that 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 wasn't a good reason to not make the move. So I look back now and think, gosh, that was a that was an amazing piece of advice, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just kind of taking even within whilst you're within a role, putting yourself out there and forward for 
additional projects or things that widen widen your experience even you know even things that are quite outside your existing role a lot of companies be surprised at how many companies you know most most teams within an organization could always do with some additional help sometimes and mm. if you you think you've got the capacity to do it and work on a project with a totally different team then again i think that can really broaden your underlying knowledge of a business can really help Amazing. So as you, as you say, don't wait for the, to, that you've got those other projects to do. You, you, well, you'll catch up with them, you know, at the end of the day. Otherwise, yeah, you would you would have lost out on treasury and, and that would have been a definite loss. And as you say, don't be afraid to take on the wider responsibility. Those are, those are two of the key ones that I'd definitely pick out. Hayley, thank yeah. you very much for today. I know that we, it's it's been a few weeks. We, she's been a very busy lady in all these trying times, but I've been thrilled to get you on the show. And thank you very much for your time today and uh, look forward to eventually... Um, um, seeing you in, in the real world and rather than just the virtual world it'd be great to uh, catch up at some stage so thank you very much yeah, great thank you very much Mike